Like it felt so much of a draining process to, to try their way. I never really had any issues with school, but I got bored really quickly. So again, I remember very vividly always wanting to do things my way. So a very a strong sense of independence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the What You're About podcast with me, Chad Abood. And this is where we uncover the natural gifts, the passion, the purpose of inspiring leaders, amazing entrepreneurs. And today, we have one of my favorite people that I've met through LinkedIn, Sarah Weiss. And you know, Sarah's such an amazing reflection of why I wanted to create this podcast. Like I know that I talk about how to uncover your gifts, how to bring them into your career. I talk about this all the time. But what I also know is that my way, my voice, my style, my experience, it's mine and it'll resonate with some people, but everyone needs to see their voice represented in a different way. And so that's why on this podcast, the leaders and the entrepreneurs that we have are across industry spectrum, across background, across style, across stage. And so when, you know, I thought of Sarah, I just thought of someone who's not only shifted countries and cities and roles in the legal industry, but she's also extremely creative. And that's one of the greatest things I love about you, Sarah, is that, you know, when we look at what you've built on LinkedIn with Law But How and the legal content design, the innovation that you show, it's so clear how your clients in the legal industry benefit from it because they can just watch what you put out there. There's no guessing you made it. And so, you know, your presence is massive. Your creativity is always there for everyone to benefit from. And so just thank you so much for joining us today. And I can't wait to uncover your gifts and what you're about. Thanks so much, Chad, for having me. I must say this is the best introduction I've seen in a podcast. So. <laughs> hey, you're one of the first people actually when I started my LinkedIn journey that that I connected with kind of one-to-one -one. and you know you were this was uh, close to two years ago and so you were you know earlier as was I in the journey you're a little bit further than me and I just remember thinking about all the creativity and innovation you were bringing and it just made so much sense to me because I was still general counsel at that time I was going through a legal tech implementation and so I was thinking a lot about storytelling creativity, innovation, and you're just such a beacon of that. Um, and so I think it was very inspiring for me um, to connect with you, you know, two years ago. And, you know, the connection has stayed since then. And, you know, I just can't wait to get into it and really uncover kind of the full journey because what we see now, massive following, everything that you put out there just feels like so crisp and so beautiful and so engaging, but like, there's a journey to this. It didn't just happen overnight. And I know bits of it, but I don't know the full piece. So maybe we can start, you know, back to, you know, little Sarah. And what what was it like for you growing up? Did you always have this creative spark to you? Or did this come later in life? Like, what was it like when you were a kid? This is a, this is a good question and, and definitely a good starting point. Um, I never really looked back 
at my childhood looking for some connection until very recently. So it's, we have a very huh. timely conversation here. Um, so I grew up in, in France. Uh, I'm uh, from a, a North African background. So my grandparents migrated to France. My mom was born in France. My dad born in Algeria. And he came in when he was 20, 25, 26 years old. So anyway, born there uh, from a North African background. I'm the eldest of an eight children uh, family. Wow. <laughs> so I often say that I am the mother of children and neither chose nor made. <laughs> That's great. So I think that kind of instilled in me a very kind of caring nature. And also I had to entertain my, um, my siblings. <laughs> I had to look after them. I had to entertain them. So I think from there already, I could see a certain tendency in um, finding creative ways of keeping them engaged, mm. keeping them entertained. So I think that was probably my, my baby step towards, you know, um, creative ways of risk managing. You know? Engaging so, with keeping captive audiences. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So, so that would have been probably, yeah, um, the, the, the very first sign. Then I went to school. Um, I mean, I was doing pretty well. Um, I'd never really had any issues with school, but I got bored really quickly. So again, um, another here, you can kind of find a very different creative sparkle as in, I was trying to learn things in a different way because I couldn't really relate to the, uh, to the school system in general. And that mm. kind of followed me all the way to law school because where everyone else in law school would just write down notes and um, be very academic about it. I would um, pretty much design. I would create um, graphs and, and charts. And um, oh, wow. so, so I, and I was the, the only person in my class to, to, to do that. Um, so I would pretty much come to exams with very different approach to low already. So here you can You're kind already of- like a very visual learner. Like that's how you absorb information is visual. That's so, it's so cool to hear that story, to see now where it is. But actually, I'm curious though, you said that you've only recently come to kind of reflecting on the full circle. And so what's brought you to that? Like what happened or recently or what inspired you to do that look back? So I, I looked at it because I read a book um, and um, it, it is a book from uh, uh, Daniel Priestley, Entrepreneur Revolution. Because now I, that I run my, my own business, I'm very interested in entrepreneurship and ways to, to develop a business. And he said, usually entrepreneurs don't become entrepreneurs all of a sudden. There's usually a theme around age 10 that make them who they are today. So that kind of took me back to my childhood. And I, I, I remember very vividly always wanting to do things my way. So a very a strong sense of independence. And uh, I, I started the business, a flower business at the time where oh, I yes, was- you wrote about this recently. I did. I did wrote, yeah. uh, write because I never really thought about it until recently. And, um, and I would always, so I, I started a flower business trying to package up a pack of flowers as a 10 year old. And there was another instance and I, and I told my dad about it and he said, yeah, I, I do remember you trying to always sell stuff and that we, we that were not really useful anymore. So but I completely had forgotten about those stories until I read the book. 
So that's kind of how it all wow. um, came about. And now you're kind of able to connect the dots a little bit. Yeah, you have like this independence, the care and also the creativity hmm. kind of always been there. And it is, I, I think it's important that I like the story about how through law school, you didn't learn in the same way. Um, because I felt a very difficult path in the beginning of law school too. I didn't feel like the way that I thought I was meant to learn, the way that other people were learning made sense to me. And the very beginning, the first semester of law school was like the worst I had ever done in school. But I think it's because I was trying to do what I thought other people found successful mm. instead of just believing that if I followed my own path, mm. that I could be successful. And so, you know, starting the second semester of the first year of law school, like I totally changed my way of learning. And it's funny because it probably seemed like a bit of a risk. Like I, I didn't really like reading the textbooks anymore. I thought it was like way too much reading for the value. So I stopped buying textbooks for the rest of law school. And to a lot of people that might sound like very risky, but to me, it felt totally normal. What felt riskier was trying to be somebody else because I was never going to be as good as the other law students if I tried to be them. And so mm -hmm. that was something too, like when you're talking about the look back, that was something that was very formative for me about like why I was, why I came to this place where what you have in you matters so much. Um, when you were in law school doing this and, and doing these drawings, did it feel like, oh yeah, this makes total sense, even though you were doing it totally different? Or were you a little bit like confused yourself that you were operating in such a different way? So it made complete sense to me, but I think in any group you have this sort of uh, social pressure to conform. So when I, when I saw the other my other classmates writing down pages after pages of notes. Of course, it makes you, it makes you feel a bit of an outcast, right? Like you kind of feel that you're, um, you're a bit different and, and maybe the way you do things isn't the right way. But, but I don't know. I started, I remember trying to do, to do that, this, this method of writing things down letter by letter. But I just got bored and I was like, I can't do this. This is not, this isn't me. So you know what? It might not be the right way, but it will be my way. Um, but I remember. How did you have the confidence? How did you have that confidence to do that? Was it just like the feeling was so strong that, that it pushed you away from conforming? You tried to conform, but it was just too strong a feeling. Was that it? Too strong of a feeling and also being lazy, to be honest. Like it felt so much of a draining process to, to try their way. That my way not only felt more um, natural to me, but it was also quicker because rather than having to write down paragraphs after paragraphs, I could just do a bullet point with some keywords, principles, exception, principles, exception. And the entire lecture would fit into an A4 page. You, um, you bring up something that's really important here for anyone that's, for those watching and listening. I think, and I think I've said this before to folks, is I think of the words for you and for me a lot because those words really help me focus in on what I'm about and take other people's style as a, 
as a point of reference instead of like a commandment on my life. And so like you said the words like, oh yeah, I was like too lazy to do it their way. And then it's so easy to do it my way. And you know what I love about that is that like, you're not lazy. Of course, like we look at what you've built your own business. It's you've been incredibly successful. It's that someone else's way wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like it felt hard because it wasn't for you. It could have been easier for other people. And similarly, someone else trying to draw like visuals and maps to like capture these really complicated concepts and doing it very efficiently, that would have been really hard for them. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that for you, that's actually like not that hard and it's quite easy and it's very effective. And so I think about this a lot that we, you, you made a great point about how we conform to other groups. And I think it's because we take easy and hard as these universal truths and whatever the masses are doing, well, that's like the right way. And then whatever people aren't doing, that's the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And instead it's like, well, you chose your way and it, not only was it more effective, but it was easier for you. So when you started like doing these drawings and visuals and it was capturing everything, did you feel like, wow, like I've really unlocked something because I actually get this information now and this is so much easier and faster for me? Like, was there a moment when you were feeling that way? Like you had gotten rid of all the hard stuff, the stuff that you felt too lazy to do and you had really untapped something? Yeah, absolutely. It really felt like a revelation almost like, wait, this is mm. much easier. Like as soon as I got over myself and let go of that peer pressure or let go of what the way people would uh, do their, their revision and so on. It, it, it felt very, um, very natural to me. And I, and I think I had another way of learning, uh, and I condensed law as a very basic principle of principles and exceptions. And, and, and that's all it was. Um, and I didn't have to, to do things in a way that didn't, feel relevant. So it definitely felt like a revelation, although I had a bit of a peer pressure in the beginning. It's pretty cool that you had that, you know, like, okay, it wasn't when you were five, you know, you're in your twenties in law school, but it's pretty early on in your career to like figure out and see on paper, wow, I've got a gift for something, but you're still in law school. And so was your mind like, okay, clearly I'm a visual learner but I'm still going to be a lawyer. And this was just some random gift that was helping you in law school, but otherwise like disconnected from your career. Or did you see like, I've got this independent streak. I know how to lift people and care for them. And I've got this visual learning thing. How am I going to bring that into my legal career? Like, were you thinking about connecting these two things when you came out of law school or was it just hanging out there and, and you didn't come back to it until a bit later? I didn't come back to it until later. Um, I, I came back to it, but again, it's, it's interesting how things just start connecting. So I didn't come back to it until not even my first job in house, but my second job in house. And that was because I had a manager at the time who happened to be a visual learner himself. So what he would do is, is that he would take a contract and he would create visual summaries out of them for the business units. So then it, again, it kind of started to click again. And I started to realize, oh, wait, that is a very clever way of presenting the information. So it's, it's when he did that, that I, it kind of, it has, it had given me permission to visualize information 
um, about the contract or, you know, and, and I just started to do visual summaries from that point onwards. So that was the, I guess, you know, you, you could call it fate or, or by design, but um, that's how I came, uh, I came back to it later. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, for, for those listening and watching, you know, it might feel like, oh, it's just a big coincidence. Thankfully, Sarah had this manager, but I think a couple of things. One is you were always creative and you pushed yourself to go outside the norm in law school to like follow your gift. If you hadn't done that, you wouldn't be as aware. And so I think that's really important, right? Like that's not just luck. That's you pushing yourself and following your intuition and your gifts. And because you did that, when you see it represented later, you can actually have a better chance of making the connection. And so, you know, when these great things happen, sometimes I think we blow it off as like luck. When bad things happen, we blame ourselves. Well, I think we need to look at the work that we put in to also find the greatness too. And so for you, you know, like you're willing to take the risk of, of not typing every letter and building your own way. There was no one teaching legal design back then. I'm sure, you know, you were teaching yourself how to do it. And then you saw it again in your manager. And that's what I also love about having so many different folks on this podcast is you need to see representation in a different way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like your way is like such clear and clean design that it speaks to people because it's clearly so natural for you. And so when you started doing it in the in-house world, were the business units like very responsive to it? Or were they like, what is this? We're not used to this. We don't understand this. Like what was the initial reaction now that you were doing it with other people and not just for your own benefit? I had an incredibly positive reaction to it. Um, and it all, it came back when I was the head of legal. So Obviously, I kind of came across the visual summaries. Then I started to slowly, I guess, notice that the legal department was always the department of no and so on. Um, and that led me to find different ways of working. So I started to innovate in terms of the way I was, I was presenting the information, the way I was training and so on. Every single time, the business units were so relieved because it, it felt different. It didn't feel as hard for them to, to process the information. So I knew I was onto something very interesting. And also, generally speaking, my primary goal was to build relationship with the business and move away from that poor reputation that legal departments used to have. So that was my primary angle. Like, it was very selfish <laughs> in that sense. Um, but then... By doing that, I enabled them to obviously process information a lot easier and along with positioning the legal team as being much more creative and so on. Um, but I had really did you see like, did you see your earlier gifts of like, I'm an independent person. I like to kind of pave my own way. I know how to care for a lot of people. I know how to engage a lot of different people because you were the oldest of, you know, a bunch of siblings. Did you, did you think about those things too? Or were you just trying to make it better for the legal team? Like, did you have a sense that, well, this is easy for me to innovate because I, I like being very autonomous. I like building something new. I don't care if it's different than what people have seen. And the purpose that I'm doing it for is to like make better relationships, engaged relationships. Like these are very clear themes, right? Like entrepreneur, mm -hmm. lifting people, caring about them and the creativity the visuals, like it's always been there. Did you see those things when you were starting to innovate in legal teams or were you just like, I'm just trying to make my day better? Um, I didn't 
it's only when speaking to you that actually it, it, they're all connected and it's it's a, it's a fascinating discussion because I initially did it for the legal team's perception, but there was also an element of caring in terms of having empathy for the business units because I remember creating some training materials and be like, no, that sucks. That's too boring. They're going to be bored to death. So there was this idea of caring for the, for, for, for the business units. Um, there was this idea of doing things my way because nobody else had done this before. Um, and I was in charge. I was the head of the, of the legal team. So, uh, I had no one else to, to answer to outside of the CFO CEO. So, and they couldn't, they, they wouldn't be involved in the day to day anyway. So there was that kind of, so you can see already the independent side, the, the visual learning side, the empathy towards others and caring all being there. But it's only when talking to you that I realize, yeah, like it all makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, because these things are, they're easy for you. I think that's actually something that I didn't think about for many decades was I think so many of us were taught and, and like you get the logic is that do things that are really hard because it teaches you resilience. And if it's hard, it means you're working hard and working hard equals good. And it means you're doing something that's better and productive. And I don't think for a long time I ever asked myself which things, which hard things, like it was just whatever was hard or hardest you try to like break through the wall and do it so that you can celebrate that you broke through the wall to prove that you're strong and resilient. And it was only in the last couple of years that I really started to think about, there are tons of things that are hard to do. Creating incredible visual content is one of them. Where do I have very nicely aligned gifts and like a lot of energy and passion? Because when I take those two things, my gifts and like my purpose, and I push those towards hard things that, that align with them, well, then the impact I feel is so much greater. And I feel like it's so much greater because you're uniquely positioned to solve for it. You have like a natural fuel inside you to keep going when it gets hard, because it will get hard. And you feel way more fulfillment during each day. And so you can attack so many hard things and you can do so many hard things, but I never really asked myself which hard things for a very, very long time. And I think that maybe we let ourselves down a little bit with the vagary of like, go after hard things. I think it's like, mm. which ones, you know, because you're helping a legal team become more innovative and make more connecting relationships. But what it seems like is at some point that wasn't enough for you. And that this entrepreneurial spirit that you have, this creativity, this desire to lift other people, like that pushed you again. And so when you were going through this journey of your head of legal, great title, great job, you're clearly using like some of your gifts in your job. That seems to be great. You get a, you know, steady salary probably, you know, feels great. What, what was inside you at that time where that wasn't enough for you? Um, it was because I, it came to a point where the things I enjoy doing, doing represented 10% of my day to day. Mm. I had built an in-house legal team from scratch. I set up the processes, technology systems. So all the things that you can think of and um, hired people, managed people, you know, created very specialist roles for each. So all the things that you can see ahead of legal doing, I had done it. Um, 
And then it came a point where I started to apply again for my next move because I kind of, at, at, at first you just think the way everyone else thinks. You're like, oh, maybe I just need a new company. I need a new challenge. Right. And then I started to be very successful at, at those finals in those interviews. And I could, I knew, like I knew something was missing. I wasn't excited. The, the mere idea of going all over again and build a team from scratch again and do all the heavy lifting and the contract reviews and all, all the things I was like, no, no. <laughs> I'm not doing this again. Um, so it was self-awareness. Um, I was very self-aware, but because I had built a social media presence in parallel, it kind of, it's given me options. It's given me Was it options. scary? Was it like very scary? The confusion of like, because my, my journey is so similar. And so I'm like kind of thinking in real time about how I felt when you were describing it. Cause I, I, I paralleled that journey. Was it scary for you or confusing or just you're very at peace when you're, you're like about to make a jump to a next company, another head of legal, all these great things that the external world is going to celebrate you for. And you felt like, no, I don't want to do that. Was that scary or, or did you like find peace in that? No, it is scary. It is scary at first because especially at, I had sacrificed a lot. I left my country. I came to the UK. I had to start all over again. So, you know, you have the, the stigma already of kind of quitting something that is safe, that is secure, that pays well towards doing something that no, nobody else has done before. So you've got that, that fear of the unknown. You don't know if it's a good idea. You've got a social pressure as well. Well, you used to be X and now, I mean, what, what do you do again? Remind me. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it, it, it was super scary. Wow. But, I, yeah. That's, I mean, it's amazing because you, I guess you had some of the proof points though, because you had built the LinkedIn presence. And when you were building your LinkedIn presence from the very beginning, did you have, did you always have this heavy visual content piece to your, to your LinkedIn brand when you first started? Or did that come in time as you were like growing that as an in-house lawyer? Yeah, yeah, definitely the second. I started with writing articles, actually. It was, how can you make it as a, as a French lawyer in the UK? So that was my, mm. my first piece of content. And I had done that for a year. And then I realized the power of social media to expand the network, make connections. So I was like, why? Maybe I should start talking about the things I do, like the visual stuff I do. And, and maybe I should communicate visually because that's interesting. That, that really stands out from the, the typical boring legal stuff that we see out there. So, so it, it, it came a bit later in the journey. I think it's like, it's funny how it's not always intuitive to us to show the thing we do. We often yeah. talk about the thing we do. And this is what, you know, I, I feel like has made you just such a large presence on LinkedIn is because you don't just talk about, here's the different ways you could bring legal design into your in-house team and give people bullet points. You just build it. And yeah. the proof is in what you show. Yeah. And that, and you can see kind of all the folks that have been clients of yours, because when I see like the people who are creating the most engaging LinkedIn, you know, design legal content, it's like, well, I know either from your testimonials <laughs> or, or through other discussions, like these are people who have learned from you and they're building an incredible presence themselves. But I think it's because instead of telling people I'm good at this or do it this way, just show them. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's the best way forward because you refine mm-hmm. your skills, you refine your confidence, and there is no discussion about, well, is Sarah actually good at legal design? Is legal design actually engaging? Well, all you have to do is just go and, and watch it. Um, yeah. So I think that's just, it's so great that you did that, but I think it's not always intuitive. Sometimes you think, oh, I'm good at legal design. I should write articles about it. Yeah. And it's like, Absolutely. no, don't write articles. <laughs> Can you imagine Michael Jordan explaining basketball through a book? Like it, it wouldn't make sense. He would be better off posting videos. This is how you dribble. This is how you shoot. And this right. is, um, yeah, show, show, don't, don't tell. Um, yeah, and that's, that's and that's what you did. Yeah, this is this is absolutely what I did for uh, as an in-house function, like as as a, as a head of legal. This is how you can visualize information contracts training materials this is how you use visual design principles like yeah so that was the the starting point okay so so you're gonna make you make a transition from like country and city that has a whole bunch of journey to it and Mm -hmm. it's not easy you're Mm -hmm. also you know almost concurrently then deciding to make a shift out of full-time legal another massive move how was that feeling during that time? Did you feel like while it's uncertain, it feels right? Or did you just feel kind of like you did in law school where you're like rejecting so heavily doing the same thing that other people were doing? Like, what was the motivator? Because those are two massive transitions to do in a very short amount of time. What mm-hmm. was driving you at that time to like have the courage? Um, I was very fortunate that thanks to my social media presence, I landed the job in legal technology. And it wasn't the job I applied for. So at the time I landed basically two or three interviews for roles that didn't exist, all thanks to LinkedIn, like all thanks to my social media presence. So I kind of, in a way I knew that I wasn't going to be in the unknown and I knew that that there was something there, if anything, in a legal innovation rather than in-house so it didn't feel as scary Mm -hmm. i knew that i had to compromise on something because that's what happened with big decisions something has to give and i knew that i had Mm -hmm. to trade my in-house legal career for something else but you know when you put things into perspective being unhappy in one particular career path versus trying something else that still pay the bills building your side hustle because that's what Lopet Howe was. I mean, you know, what's the trade-off? Leaving a career that you don't don't enjoy anymore? That's not really... For me, it was like, worst case scenario, I'll go back. Like, it's not a big deal. So I didn't have much to lose in perspective. Obviously, now I know it, it wasn't hard after all. But obviously, when you at the moment, like when you have to take that decision... It feels scary. It feels counterintuitive. Again, you're going against the norm, but that urge of trying, that fear of regret, was greater than what I had to sacrifice. Yeah, you did. You did a couple of of things that anyone who has a great kind of brand presence does. I think one, you gave first. You didn't wait for these jobs that didn't exist to like magically come find you. You. Mm-hmm realized like, oh, I'm like pretty innovative. I like doing things in a different way and I'm visually creative and I like to celebrate people. And so you just started doing it. Yeah. And without knowing that these other jobs that didn't exist yet were going to find you, you just started giving first. 
I think that's massive. I think it's massive for a couple of reasons. One is I think it helps you refine what you actually care about and what your skills are. And what I always tell people in like coaching or consulting teams is find the thing that is as quick as it can be and as low or no cost as it can be. LinkedIn is a great example of this. There are zero intermediaries. And as long as you have internet and some sort of device, you can, you can participate and you can share what you want. And what I tell folks who feel cynical is it is really difficult to lie and force yourself to do something you don't want to do every day for free. Mm -hmm. Really, really hard. You won't do it. You'll stop. And so you kept showing up. And what that does is it tests that you actually care about it. It tests that you're good about it, that you have skills and that you want to keep doing it almost for its own reason. That's really powerful. And because you did that, opportunities know where to find you. They see your skills, they realize the value, and they know who to go to. Mm -hmm. All that comes from giving first and testing how much you care about it. I tell people all the time, you're such a great example of it. You know, I know that anybody who's going to know me is already going to know you. But if you don't know Sarah already, I really, (laughs) really recommend that you follow her. Even if legal design isn't your thing, what you will see is the impact of showing what you're about, not just yeah. talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so w- and- when you think, when you hear that back, how does that feel for you? Like, did it feel like that journey for you? Did you feel like, Oh, I'm giving first because I love this and I'm showing my skills or, you know, did that not resonate for your journey at all? Oh, it, it definitely was giving. Yeah. Like I had absolutely zero expectations initially. I, I mean, I was helping people getting a job because I had been unemployed for, for, for ages. So I just wanted to give back again, try to help people. That visual stuff again, that was more, look, we have a really poor reputation, but it doesn't have to be this way. This is what you can do about it. So it's never been, let me monetize. Let me see what can come up. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and, and, and I've done that for yeah. years. I think that's always the best way because what I find is when you're pursuing an outcome, like, oh, I got to get this job that doesn't exist yet. It's got to pay me this. People have to pay me to do this. I think it it really limits the amount of opportunities that you could yeah. actually love. And it puts a lot of pressure on the outset of like, it's only good if X happens. But mm-hmm. for you, it's like you, you figured out a path with full-time or part-time work and knowing that you could go back to it while concurrently giving to create mm-hmm. opportunities. I, I love that. I love that approach, Sarah. So take us through though, you leave the legal industry, you launch your business. Like this is not an easy thing to do, especially when you're saying something that makes sense, but that a lot of people in the legal industry had never done before. And so yep. what was that journey like as you were launching it? Um, it it's been pretty organic in the sense that I had my job uh, in, in legal technology. So in my mind, whatever I was doing on the side was a side hustle. You know, I didn't really take it seriously. I just, um, I just thought, you know what? Like people, I guess something I should clarify is that people had started to approach me for paid services. So, oh, can you redesign this for me? Or can you create this piece of content for me? So I started to land like a few gigs there and there, but in my mind, it was never going to be something big or it was more like almost like a hobby business. Um, so in my mind, I didn't think much of it, you know? So the transition towards having a side hustle was, it was a risk-free thing. Um, I had a, a nine to five, I had a side hustle. So that was pretty organic. Um, 
I think what took a while is to really come across something that could be more than a side hustle. So that was my biggest hurdle. Like, how do I repackage what I enjoy into something that makes money? Because one yeah. doesn't exclude the other, but you still have to figure out a business model around um, the things you enjoy doing. Well, I mean, I feel like we're about to crack the code here, sir. I mean, everyone who's listening and watching is thinking to themselves like, okay, I've got something I love and I want to, I would love to monetize that and make that my business. And so what did that look like for you? Like the ups and the downs and the challenges and the wins, like how did that, how did you start building that model? Mm. So initially it was what you call the done, done for you service. So you give me a brief, I'm going to package it up and, and, and do it for you. So in other words. You know, I, I was offering design services for in-house legal team and um, social media because obviously I had built my, my LinkedIn presence. Then I faced the music, <laughs> the truth of the market, which is, oh, hey, can you create um, uh, one, pieces of, one piece of content a week for my LinkedIn profile and my budget is 500 bucks? <laughs> mm. That was one thing. Um, you know, so I was like, okay, that's definitely not money making. That's not money making avenue. That's number one. Number two for in-house, I started to work with multi-million dollar companies. Mm -hmm. So, so, so that was, that was really good. Um, the thing that really frustrated me was more the fact that it just wasn't nice to have. So whatever I, I was promoting was never perceived as, as something essential. And I'm selling to a GC or a head of legal operation that have bigger fish to fry, they're busy. And I get it, I've, 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 been, I've been there. So I kind of understand that. Um, but so, so what used to happen is that people would be very excited, very enthusiastic. And then, you know, I go ahead, I send a quote and then I don't hear back. Or I hear back, well, actually we have um, end of quarter, so, you know, let's reconvene in six months or, you know, let's, or we are running out of budget, so we need to um, look at our budget, etc. So that got me really frustrated. <laughs> that got me really frustrated and I was like, on one hand, I've got people that want to pay me 500 bucks to uh, create content for them. On the other side of the spectrum, I have big corporates that want to work with me, but every time I send a bill or a quote, they go cold feet because something else is more urgent in their agenda. So that, so that was the ugly side of <laughs> building a, a business is that what I failed to understand is uh, the importance of market validation. So it's not just enough to be passionate about something. You need to package it up in such a way that adds meaningful value to people. And, and people only pay for a service, for a product that delivers what I call a big money outcome, which is helps them save money, helps them save time, helps them make money. You know, so you have to link whatever you do when you're passionate about to something that is highly valuable. And that's, that's the journey uh, that I've been through. So before you had that realization, 
were you like, wow, this is just not going to work out? Like, because you had the B2C, you had the B2B, neither one was going the exact way you wanted. You had done all this work of trying to like package your gifts up towards a business. A lot of people probably would have stalled out there and said like, yeah. okay, this is never going to work. <laughs> and so, you know, other than I'm sure those thoughts, because every entrepreneur has those thoughts, this is never going to work. But besides that thought, were you were you actually debating like, this, this is never going to happen. Or how did you shift into this mindset where you're like, well, I've still got something great. I just either haven't found the right market for it, or I haven't expressed what you call like the big money, like value or outcome. Like, how did you get there instead of just stalling out? So I definitely was stuck. Um, I was stuck. And then part of me wanted to give up um part of me was like you know what why am i wasting my time why am i wasting so much time and effort into promoting something that is worth 500 bucks to people's mind <laughs> um so definitely it, it's been challenging but at the same time i thought you know what when you get stuck you need to ask for help you know because otherwise i'm just going to be stuck there for years and so i invested in myself um i invested in, in a business coach mm. and when he worked with me on refining, on, it's not even refining, it's repackaging my offer completely. To, to him, which is interesting, to him, the, the, the path to monetization was pretty obvious. He was like, well, you've built a really strong following on LinkedIn. That's big transformation. And you've done that with visual design. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's kind of like... I looked, I, he basically repackaged my passion for visual design and my achievements, my most valuable achievement, which was to build an audience on LinkedIn, get out of that, the rat race of nine to five, landing a bespoke job in legal technology, thanks to my social media presence um, and lending clients via LinkedIn. So these were like, when he, kind of reframed it this way it kind of all made sense but i guess i was kind of too close to the mm. the, the the truth to see it um yeah so he really helped me take a step back and he was like i think you should repackage your offer in such a way that helps people build an audience on linkedin build their authority and generate leads with visual design that's your superpower. That's your, that's the big money outcome right here. Um, now I didn't take it seriously. Um, I was like, well, whatever, no, I don't think anyone cares. <laughs> you know? So it was very interesting because again, you see the disconnect between passion and, and market, right? Um, it's not whatever you sell isn't about you is about, it's not about what you want to sell. It's about what people want to buy. Mm -hmm. So I, he, he said to me, just try it. Offer to help five people, see what happened. I posted, I'm looking for five legal professionals to build a visibility on LinkedIn. That was in 2022. An hour later, I received 20 inquiries. An hour later. I had yeah, never... I, made a, I remember that post. I remember it. It made so much yeah. sense, right? Like what you... That post just connected so obviously with like what you're clearly great at. Right. Like it was such a direct line. Well, this is how you build a presence with visual design. Great. Cause that's what you do. And by like yeah. framing it up of saying like, okay, well let's just test it. 
that's so important. I, I think of like growth kind of in three phases. The first is like uncovering what you're naturally great at. And then two is like doing the quickest, most of efficient tests that you can to validate whether it's true or not, because so often we have a story going on in our mind that either we love something or we hate something, or it'll never mm -hmm. work or for sure it'll work. But until you try it and test it, like, are mm -hmm. you willing to even listen to a podcast about visual design every day this week? If you're not, I've got a sense that it's not that passionate as you think it might be. But yeah. if you do, and you're like, whoa, now I want to follow this leader. And now I want to like write a post about it. Like these are good signals. And so I really like that advice that you got about testing it. And then the third part, I think is kind of like baking it into your life because you need some sort of system for yourself, right? Like these are things that you're naturally great at. And so they can be like very inspirational, but we need like inspiration plus tactics. And so you know, this is a cool, it's kind of like a cool part is tracking these like three buckets that I think about. And so then you go and test it. You're in this, like what I think of as the middle phase mm -hmm. and what happens. So you get 20 something reach outs. Everyone who's run a business knows that like reach out and excitement is different than conversion. And so what did that look like for you? What was that experience of like following your gifts and doing this test? So I received 20 inquiries, which was unexpected completely. So from there, I got excited. And again, the early stage of, of entrepreneurship, you know, you tend to, to assume that if people are, are reaching out to you, they're going to buy, which, you know, isn't really accurate. But I try obviously pre-qualifying so I could see that yeah. from those DMs that some people wouldn't necessarily qualify for that offer and so on. So I, so I book, I think it was about 10 sales calls, which was a lot for me at the time. Like I had never been that busy with my side hustle uh, until then. So I book around 10 sales calls roughly. Um, some people don't show up. Like the, 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 the typical um, drop in um, uh, with the no-shows and things like that. So some don't show up, some, some cancel. Um, some people say I'm in, but they end up uh, dropping out. But I still managed to get five people. I still managed to get my first five clients in a group coaching program. Um, and for me, that was mind blowing because I was like, people really do want to learn. And again, you, you're always amazed by, you know, how whatever you're passionate about can help other people, but also the type of things that they want, they want from you. Um, yeah. You learn from them too, right? Like you think, um, you know, how yeah. people are going to benefit from you, but that's, you that's the danger of pre-knowing. Because you don't know until like the market also gives you feedback about yeah. how they want to use your talent. I think about this a lot, right? Like there, there's a kind of a big like theme around like, well, you got to like picture the exact goal that you want. And then you got to like go directly for that goal. And it's like, well, you've got this gift, this like entrepreneurial spirit, this creativity, this desire to help people that can be deployed a lot of ways as you've experienced inside an organization with a legal team or in legal tech or in your own way. And then even within your own business, it can be deployed a lot of ways. And I think the part of being like selfless in the way we operate is also allowing the market to tell us like, could you help me this way? I'm really interested in this instead of being, you know, so self-driven by 
I'm going to offer my expertise like this. And I think it sounds like you went through that exact journey. And so what did it, what did it teach you when you did that first cohort? So, so the first cohort, I didn't think much of it. Um, I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. I've got five, but they are probably the, the, the first and the last people I'm going to help. I didn't believe in it. Honestly, I, I really followed blindly my business coach because I had no other option anyway. Um, and then that's where the, the mind blowing moment, uh, happened because it wasn't just me that, that was successful at what I was doing, I was able to pass it on and I was enabling people to use exactly what I, my, my, my visual design um, knowledge and, and, and so on and apply that to the things that they, that, that they practice and, and they enjoy. Um, and the results were mind blowing. Um, I, like there was um, one guy who had been on LinkedIn for a year trying to post and never got any traction. Three weeks in working with me, he lends his first client. Wow. So, so that was kind of like those, you know, aha moments that, you know, make you realize the power of not just passion, but passion with purpose. Like it's really applied to a meaningful right. uh, angle. Um, and then, so I get this first cohort, they, they get really successful results, clients, um, speaking opportunities, invitation to podcast. One of them got an award as well for their work in their practice area. Wow. So I repeat the exercise again, thinking, you know what, maybe I was lucky. You know, you always yeah. kind of try to <laughs> find the, the, the flows, do it again. Same result. Qualified audience, speaking opportunities, lead generation, like all of those things come up again and again and again. So that made me realize the the, the, the power of, um, of what I had developed, all of that IP that I was able to, um, to repackage. And how did you feel during this transition? Because you had brought your gifts of like, you know, creativity and autonomy into different parts of your career. Mm -hmm. And now you were offering it in a way that you hadn't even thought of, like this very independent minded leader who was doing it her way. You took this advice, you're doing it in a different way. How did you feel when you were like seeing the results of these first couple of cohorts? Was, was it like you're pumped or were you like confused because it wasn't the way you had thought it was your gifts were going to be deployed? It was a, that, that exact mixed feeling, very pumped for them. Because obviously I was like, clearly this is working, but very confused as well, because I was like, it's not really something I had envisaged doing at all. <laughs> you know? So, so, so there was this obsession and, you know, to, 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 to be right. Um, mm. and to prove the market wrong. And unfortunately the market is always right. Um, and I've learned this the hard way. And as much as I would try to push for my in-house design, like uh, legal design services for in-house, it didn't really get the traction. It, it, it proved very difficult um, to sell. So I was like, you know, what well, business is business at the, at the end of the day. You know, it's not about being right. It's about winning. Uh, and what's winning at the moment, it's that particular offer. So you have to double down on it. Um, no matter how you feel about um, the other offer. Well, I think there's something, there's a phrase that I think of a lot called that I call like total success where it's like there's success in your business, 
but there's also success in the way that you feel, right? Like you are do you are trying to get something into the market for in-house legal teams that you know makes sense, mm-hmm. but it was really hard because there wasn't enough acceptance, awareness, agreement now from the market. That makes it really, really painful sometimes because mm-hmm. you get very confused, you doubt your self-worth, you doubt your skills. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you might be creating a great substantive product to offer, but if you don't have the agreement of the folks you're trying to sell to, it can be a very difficult way to live. And that impacts our life in many ways, it impacts our personal life too. And so I think about this a lot around what is success, not just for what I'm offering, but also the way people feel about what I'm offering, what their mm-hmm. results are, how I feel when I see people succeed, and then how that plays out in my personal life. Because we're just humans. Like it spills over no matter if we think we close our laptop and we're just going to be our normal selves in our personal life. It doesn't work out that way. What happens is we bring either the stress or the fulfillment into the other areas of our life. And so I think about this a lot that like, yeah, you're winning in your business, of course. And we see the folks who have taken, been in your cohorts because their content is so visually appealing and their brand grows so fast. But I think it must feel amazing too for you and like make you feel so much more successful, like from a total perspective in your life. You know, I've, I've never been so, so proud than I am today. Definitely. Like no amount of contract review and multi-million dollar deals closed when I was in house and the processes have improved and would have brought me the level of joy um, I've had with my clients because they go from not knowing how to put themselves out there to um, realize that they are sitting on a mountain of value, putting themselves out there and get rewarded for it, literally, financially, right. um, through a, a qualified audience and, and, and all of those things. Um, and m- more recently, uh, some of my clients have started to gain, um, they were employed and, and now they are getting their first clients themselves. So it's also my own journey, my own transformation from being employed to entrepreneurship that is happening to them as well. And no amount of, nothing I've done before, no amount of money can buy um, that joy and that impact. Um, Yeah, you're seeing it play out in in real time in other people's lives. That's, it's incredible. And so, you know, I guess for you, as you've recently said, you read that book. And so you're looking back over your life you know, you're bringing this desire to help people, this desire to do it your own way, the creativity. What would you say to like, you know, little Sarah or someone who's watching this, listening to this, because for you, it came later from watching that book, you were inspired to do this look back and see your gifts. You were just, you know, had the ability to use them in real time, even though you may not have been totally aware of it. How would you encourage, you know, your younger self to become more aware of that time of like these natural gifts that you had inside you so that you could propel them into your career as much as possible, you know, as early as possible? Um, I would definitely say lean in experimenting. Um, mm. I think this is very critical. What's ultimately, if, if you look back at all of those patterns, what made it happen is my ability to experiment things, my ability to first visualize my law lecture and then my contract summaries when I was in-house and then putting together those infographics. And so had I not experimented all of those things, I would have never known. Um, So I think it's really important to put things into motion. If you have an urge to try something, 
uh, or if you feel, oh, that could be an interesting way to solve that problem or like, do it. Um, because I could have easily overlooked that, uh, that part. And I guess I was lucky that I just happened to, to do it. And I had that kind of independence, stubbornness in me that was like, you know what, it's going to be my way because my way is better and the other way is harder. Um, but for those that kind of might be sitting on the fence, definitely experiment things and allow yourself to explore. Yeah. Um, I think it's great advice. Like finding the way that has the least intermediaries. That's one thing that's a great example about like social media, right? Is yeah. because before it used to be, you had to get approved to write an article or your firm or your organization had to let you write something. And then there's going to be a box around the type of content and the style and the length and the way you show up. This is something I really like about writing for yourself. Yeah. Whether you post it or not, it's that you decide the style, length, the time, like however you want to, how you want to show up, visual content, video, images, like you get to test a variety of ways that might be inspiring or might you might have a natural inclination to use. And here's what I know through my own experience of testing things that either I know about or I think I'm good at is that when you actually do it, you will find out really quickly whether you actually care or not. And you won't have to worry about it anymore. You can put down the bags of the stuff that you actually don't have as much passion for. And then you can like double down in the areas where it feels like play to you. It doesn't feel like mm -hmm. that older definition of work that was more painful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't try, you will never know. It's not about figuring out whether it is for you. It's, it's really making sure at least that you give it a go. Um, and if it, yeah. if it doesn't work out, then at least you would have tried. Uh, but so many of us, especially in the legal industry, we spend decades you know, doing as we're told because society, peer pressure, student loans, and all of those things that kind of get in the way of our judgment. Um, and we don't allow our, ourselves to be different, to explore, to break the mold. Um, so I think this is a good reminder for, for, for anyone who may have a different interest and might want to explore it. Yeah. Well, and they're going to see it in you, you know, so just want to say thank you so much, Sarah, for, for, not just joining today, but also sharing your journey. You know, you share the full business journey, the personal journey, and not just the wins, but like the valleys too. And then how you figure a way back up because you know how creative you are. You know how much energy you have to build something new and you show it, you show your support for mm -hmm. others. And I think that just inspires so many others to keep following it. You know, it's very inspiring for me. And I'm just so glad that, you know, we've had the opportunity to connect here over the last couple of years and everything that you've done for so many folks I know to help their careers thrive by allowing them to just build a presence that's very personal to them. They can show up with visuals, with innovation in a way that like speaks to them as a human as well. And I think it's an amazing impact. So, you know, for everyone that was watching and listening to this, highly recommend you check out Sarah, follow her journey. I, you know, I just have no doubt that you'll feel as inspired as I do. So thank you, my friend, for sharing this time with us. And for everyone that's watching and listening, you know, wherever you were, I hope that this found you, that this inspired you. If you feel like that this was meant for a friend or a family member of yours, then I hope that you share it with them because that's really the point here is that we want to help everyone figure out what they're about. And, and Sarah, thank you for doing that today. Thank you for having me, Chad.